Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We have been in a series for about 17 years now on the Holy Spirit. And uh, that was a joke, but it's not really. It, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, and it's not really... Uh, it's not really a far stretch. So we're, we've been looking at a, a, a pneumatology. We've been looking at a study of the Spirit. And as a subset of that, we were looking at the three impartations that we receive from the Spirit. Faith, or uh, not faith, but uh, uh, wisdom, power, and love. We see that in Jesus' water baptism. He went down in the water, came up in the Spirit. The heavens opened, the dove descended, and the Father spoke. We see this expression of wisdom, power, and love. As Pentecostals, we talk a lot about the power. The last 20 years with this fresh move of God that's been going on for over 20 years now, the real emphasis has been the Father's love. But the missing component, and I believe the next thing on God's divine agenda, is wisdom. We need to understand that God will give us an impartation of wisdom. Now, impartation is different than cultivation. Cultivation is the process whereby you lend yourself to study and to labor so that you can mature into something. Impartation is you get an instant download. Now, that's not to say that God will give you all the wisdom you'll ever need. We don't get that kind of shortcut, okay? We've got to study to show ourselves approved a workman who needs not to be ashamed. So moving into the wisdom that God has for us takes labor. It takes, it takes work. But there is a thing of impartation in regards to wisdom. And we call it, another phrase for that is revelation. There's a difference between study and revelation. Study, you lend your mind, you, you begin to... Uh, begin to dig into the word and through the process you, di- you, conclu- you come to some conclusions. You study yourself to some conclusions. Revelation is different in that you start with conclusions and then you have to backfill them and say, God, where is this in the word? And I don't want to hear your revelation until you can put it through the word. But the fact is there are times where God will give you a download and then begin to unpack that. Those are revelatory seasons where you get an impartation of wisdom. And we need that. Solomon is the the consummate example of someone who received an impartation of wisdom. He went to sleep and in a dream had an encounter with God. It was just a dream, but he woke up the wisest man who ever lived. Because what happened in that encounter affected his waking life. He had received an impartation of wisdom. There was a spirit of wisdom and revelation that came upon him that opened the eyes of his understanding so that he wrote that people would come from around the world to sit at his feet and listen to the wisdom that came out of his mouth. And so we need to understand that there is impartation for wisdom. My role is to whet your thirst, okay? You need to press in for impartation for wisdom. You need to be like Solomon, that when you get the opportunity of a lifetime, when God asked him, what would you ask of me? Ask anything you want. Solomon chose wisely in choosing wisdom. He asked for wisdom, and God said, because you didn't ask for riches or power or long life or victory over your enemies, I'm going to give all of that to you. And later on, Solomon himself would put the pen to paper and write the book of Proverbs and tell us that with wisdom comes power, comes riches, comes long life. 
And so Solomon asked, not understanding at the time, he was asking for the whole thing. He said, in all thy getting, get wisdom. The wisest man that ever lived said, whatever you do, get wisdom from God. My job is to be David to your Solomon this morning. Because Solomon would also write that his father told him that when he was a little child. He said, when I would sit at my father's knee, my dad would say, son, in all thy getting, get wisdom. So David was not able to impart everything his son needed, but he imparted to him the hunger that would prepare him to seize the opportunity of a lifetime. And so we need to press in for wisdom. We need to value it. Solomon, when he was presented with this opportunity of a lifetime, listen to what he said. He said, he said God, I'm but a child. This was a grown man with children and ruling over God's kingdom on the earth. This, the nation of Israel. But he, his perspective on himself was this. Father, I'm only a child and I don't even know how to come in or go out. So I'm asking you for wisdom to lead your people. An understanding heart. We need to pray for that. We need to, we need to have that humility that says, God, I don't have everything I need, but you do. And I'm asking you, give me an understanding heart. God wants to give that to you. But there's some wisdom that only comes through asking. And there's some wisdom that doesn't even come through asking. It comes through knocking and keep on knocking. And then there's some wisdom that comes through seeking. And so there's levels of wisdom and there's levels of effort that demanded of you in order to break into that wisdom. And God longs, like Jesus said to his disciples at the end of his ministry on earth, he said, there's so much more I longed to give you but I couldn't because you couldn't bear it. So I'm going to give you a, I'm going to send my spirit unto you and he's going to unload incrementally to you what I wanted to give you as a one-time event. <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to over time through a process of learning unload on you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to inform you. He's going to put formation inside of you and a structure inside of you that can handle the weight of what he wants to give you. And so he takes you through a process so that you can have what he longs to give you. But the fact is, many of us aren't hungry for the very thing that God wants to give us. It was a number of years ago now, I was sitting on the front row and Joel and Linda Budd were preaching that morning and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he said, many of my children live offended because they don't understand what's going on in their life, but rather than press in for wisdom and understanding, they just settle in their offense. And he said, the answers to the things that you want, uh, the, there's so many things that you want that I long to give you, but I can't give it to you yet because I'm too good a steward. I'd never thought of God as a steward. I'd never thought of God stewarding his truth. But the fact is, God says, I won't give my pearls to swine. It's not meant to be an insult. It's meant to, it, the, the idea is that a pig can't value, the, it, it, he, can't, he, doesn't, he can't grasp the value of a pearl. He'll choose a half-eaten piece of corn over a pearl. 
And so what God has to do is change our value system and this process he takes us through in educating us and informing us and bringing us along is to create within us a value system. Anna, this morning when you were sitting there, I saw that, that over you. God's awakening a hunger within you and that hunger is going to pull you into a process and God's already creating this value system. And a lot of times we get, we're like, we get so hungry, we think, oh, this is, this is just me. I, I'm getting out there. No, this is God. God awakens it so he can satisfy it, but he takes us through the process, and the process itself builds the value system in us so that we can steward what he gives us in the end. And so God's got you in that, and that hunger that you've been feeling is God. It is orchestrated by heaven, so just keep on going with it, and God's going to do it. So we've been talking about this. Uh, I want to look at one, I want to focus on wisdom this morning. And I want to look at how wisdom is, I want to look at one manifestation of wisdom. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I've got a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset subject. All right, sorry, I've lost you already. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, let's read it. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul is saying you can live as a wise person or you can live without it and live as unwise. And then he defines what he's talking about. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Time management is a manifestation of wisdom in your life. People who fritter away their time have a lack of wisdom. It's because they don't see the value and so they let it run through their fingers. And so time management is one of the manifestations of wisdom. And then he says this, because the days are evil. The evilness of the day makes wisdom and time management all that more important. And then he says this, verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we have in scripture this this, uh, this juxtaposition, these two things that contrast each other, they are mutually exclusive. These two ideas. There's wisdom, biblical wisdom, and biblical foolishness. Now we need to understand that biblical foolishness is not foolishness as we think of it. We look at someone, oh, he's being foolish. We mean he's being goofy or joking around too much, you know. That, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks of foolishness. Biblical foolishness is to ignore reality. It's to spurn wisdom. It's to refuse to look at the consequences of your actions. It's to live for the moment and disregard the long-term consequences. It's the idea summed up in scripture says, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's the guy who will skip work tomorrow to go out and party tonight. And then he, he says, well, hey, we may die tomorrow. I don't know if I'll be here, so I'm going to go have fun tonight. And then he wakes up the next day. He doesn't have a job, and he ends up homeless because of one, uh, you know, an all-nighter that he pulled. That is biblical foolishness. Biblical foolishness is more than someone being silly. It's ignoring reality. It's living for your, your temporary lusts. You have you, you feed your flesh pleasure on the front end and you pay over the long term. That's why again and again in scripture, foolishness is compared to debt and wisdom is compared to paying with cash, paying your way. You put off pleasure, uh, you, 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 you put off the satisfaction of your desires over the long term where you accumulate the means to do it and do it responsibly. 
And so this is the idea of biblical foolishness. And it's, under, it's important we understand that when we read this verse. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't live for the moment. Live for the long term. Calculate the consequences. Live the calculated life. Jesus talked about counting the cost. Jesus didn't call us to make a commitment to him out of emotion. He wanted us to make a calculated commitment that we can deliver on. And then he says this, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You catch what uh, Paul is saying there? Paul is saying that if you don't know God's will for your life, you're living a foolish lifestyle. That's a pretty heavy word. That if you don't know the will of God for your life, that you're not living wisely. Wisdom presses in and says, God, I've got to know because I've got a limited time on planet Earth. I've got one shot at this thing. This life is the dressing, dress rehearsal for eternity and my eternity will depend upon how I spend my time. And so I want to spend it doing the right things. I don't want to do a good job at the wrong things at the end of the age. And so he says, don't be a fool. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read six verses and then we're going to get into this passage. This passage has been haunting me for a couple weeks now. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles... And then he stops mid-sentence and he said, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul begins to pray. He picks this prayer up in verse 14. This is the preacher's justification for rabbit trails. Okay? Because Paul gets off on a rabbit trail. He starts to teach. He says, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And then he stops and he said, Surely you have heard. Or the ESV says, Assuming that you have heard... Paul understood that it was widely known that he carried grace, apostolic grace on his life. It was a widely known fact. He said, surely you, you've heard of the grace that was given to me. But then he says, for you. And in fact, I just quoted it wrong. It wasn't just that Paul was given grace, the substance that God put on him to make him an apostle was the grace of God. It was the power of God to be something with God that he couldn't be without him. And God put it on Paul and transformed him in an encounter. But it wasn't just the grace he received. Paul says in this passage, I was given an administration of grace. Or the ESV says, a stewardship of grace for you. You see, Paul understood that the grace that was given to him wasn't given to him for him. It was given to him for others. The grace on your life is given to you to serve other people. And you've got to define, you've got to discover what the purpose of the grace on your life is. And when you understand what the grace is for, you can begin to cooperate with that grace and no longer be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. You can cooperate with that and you can begin to move into the grace of God in your life. But he was given an administration or a stewardship of the grace. That's a heavy phrase. You see, a steward 
is somebody that has delegated authority within a household. Wealthy landowners would have multiple stewards. It's similar to what Joseph functioned as under Potter. He ran Potter's, Potiphar's, not Potter, Potiphar's house. And then again, and I was thinking of It's a Wonderful Life. It, uh, he, was, he was, who'd want to work for him? He was uh, a, a steward under Potiphar. Then he became a steward over the prison because everywhere Joseph went, the grace on his life made him float to the surface and become the leader. And eventually he became the steward all over all of Egypt and eventually began to reach into all the earth under Pharaoh. But he, was, he didn't own it. He was stewarding it for the person he was working under. And that's the idea behind this word. The Greek word is oikos nomos. It, it's a compound word. Oikos means household or relationships, household. And then it's, it's the word that, you know, oikos, yogurt. Yeah, that's it. Oikos, it, it has to do with your household. And nomos is law. It's the rules of the household. But it has the idea of somebody be get, being given the authority to administrate a household. And what Paul is saying is God gave him grace that he was to steward that properly. There were, there were rules by which he would, he would steward and he would uh, function in this grace. And the purpose of that grace was for the other people. And so he says it's for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes on to this. He says that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So he said there's, great, there's a stewardship of grace given to me for you. And what was that grace? It was insight, it was revelation into the mysteries. He goes on in verse 6, he said, this mystery, and let me just tell you, there are many more in Scripture. I remember when I was younger, I would see these phrases and I thought, what is the mystery? What is the, there isn't a mystery, there's many mysteries. Now Paul tells us what this particular one is. He, he names another one in chapter 1. He names another one in Colossians. There's many mysteries that Paul was given. But what we need to understand is that Paul was given that revelation as part of his calling. God gave him insight into these mysteries, but he gave it to him for other people. So here's the biblical analogy. When Joshua was going to go into the promised land, what did he do? He and Moses sent in these spies so that they could go in and conquer. They sent in spies into the promised land to search it out and see what the promised land looked like. Those spies are similar to fivefold ministry. They're similar to those that God will put his grace on and he'll send them in first. He'll send them in to, to begin to evaluate the resources that are available to us. They'll know the lay of the land. They'll, know the, they'll begin to see the enemy. They'll begin to understand what's standing between them and their inheritance. So there are those that God will grace to go ahead of us. They'll go in first and then they'll bring back the report. Now here's the thing. you got to be careful who you put yourself under. Because only two came back with a good report. There are those who have legitimate grace on their life but still preach unbelief. It's because they're, 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 they've not grasped the revelation. They've not surrendered in faith to move into all God has for them. It's very important that you listen to the right leaders, that you get around people that will have faith for what you're called to. It's crucial 
Because often they will see the potential in you before you do. And if they don't see it, it'll never be called out of you. We need people in our life that are going to see things in us and call us into our destiny. And so the spies were those who went in beforehand. They looked at the lay of the land. Now, when they moved into the promised land, it's like in Joshua chapter 18, like 16, 17, 18. There's a couple chapters where Joshua begins to allocate the inheritance to certain tribes. And then in verse, I think it's chapter 18, and it says the rest of the, cha- rest of the tribes. He, he begins to meet it up. And it's an interesting passage because when he does that, he begins to lay out the boundary lines of their inheritance. Now Paul tells us all of this stuff is instructive to you and I as believers. So what does that have to do with you and I? What we need to understand is there are markers, there are boundary lines to your inheritance. And inheritance is extended to tribes. For you to move into all that God has for you, you've got to find your tribe. You've got to find that group of people that talk your language, that have your customs, your culture. I'm not talking in a worldly sense. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense where you come into a church and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, these are my people. This is my family. I gotta, guess I got to get to know them, but they're my family. It's like, you're the brother I never met. You're, it's just, you know, because what they're saying, what you're feeling, just this affinity, you've got to find your tribe because the promised land, the, every individual Israelite's destiny was connected to them finding their tribe and that tribe moving into their promised land. And there were patches of ground that only that tribe was going to conquer. So we've got to find our people. So, and then Joshua, he begins to break out the, the boundary lines. He said, it's, you know, well, there's, uh, to Ephraim, there's a rock that looks like a cowboy hat. And then you go three miles down the road and there's another rock that looks like a rooster. And then there's three trees and, you know, that's the, the southern boundary. It doesn't really say that in the Bible, but you get my drift. You, you go out and there's all these markers, the topography that they looked at and they knew, this is my promised land. And there is a boundary line to your promised land. Here's the point this morning. Don't be a fool. Know what the will of the Lord is. Are you living the will of God for your life? Are you functioning in what God has called you to function in? Are you breaking into new territory in your life? That may be in your job. That may be uh, in in. Uh, in learning, it may be in influence in people, it might be revelation. There's all different facets of the promised land. But the question this morning is, are you living in your promised land? Are you living in the will of God? Don't be a fool. Know what the will of the Lord is. There's too much on the line for you to say, I think so, I hope so. You need to know so. And God is more than willing to share with you what his desire, his will for your life is. Often that's a process, and often it's, it begins in a small way. For me, I, I knew that I was supposed to go to Teen Challenge. I was a homeless alcoholic, and I, it wasn't even God told me. It was just, you didn't have to be rocket science. You know, I'm a homeless alcoholic. I think maybe Teen Challenge is a good idea. 
And so that was the beginning. And as I began to live for the Lord in Teen Challenge, I wanted with all my heart to go back home after I completed. I'd been through, you know, 14 months of extreme discipleship, and I thought, I'd just like a month off, and then I'll figure. And the Lord said, no, you're going to this Bible school. That's where you're going next. I went and talked to the guy that runs the Bible school to see if he'd let me come, and he looked at me, he said, boy, you need a haircut. I'm thinking, this is Teen Challenge standards. You know, I was back in the 80s, where, you know, early 80s, where everybody's wearing dog-eared, long hair, you know. He said, I want your hair so short that if you pull on it, it won't touch your ear. Now that's in. That wasn't in then. He said, because if I can control your hair, I can control you. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) now understand. I was a very rebellious young man that got broken by Jesus And I went into Teen Challenge. I didn't get in trouble in Teen Challenge. They say jump, I'd say how high. But I was really looking forward to being able to just go get a drink of water without asking, you know. And just being able to have a little bit of self-government. And all of a sudden, God put me under this man. Oh, my goodness. He He was quite the dude. He was infamous for his leadership style. Uh, what, put it this way, one night, uh, it, was, it was about 9 in the morning, and I would get up at 4 a.m., I'd open his daycare for him, this pastor. And about 9 o'clock one night, I was, you know, dead to the world. I was asleep in my apartment that I'm paying the rent on, and someone kicked in my front door screaming, and my bedroom door opens, and it's the pastor doing the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> And I'm sitting there like, uh. Now you understand, this guy's about 400 pounds. He's a big man. And I'm like, uh, brother so, I'm not going to say his name, brother so and so, uh, I don't know what you're saying. I'm asleep. I don't understand what you're saying. You be in my office at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Boom, slams the door like I'm supposed to go to sleep now. He was just a very controlling individual. I wouldn't trade my time there for anything. I spent a year, little over a year under that man's leadership. A lot of what I learned from him was how not to lead. <laughs> Seriously. Here's the thing. you got to understand, God is very, very practical. See, we love when God uses people's gifts on us. I want to receive from your gifting. But God is very practical. We're all a mixed package. We have our giftings. We have our weaknesses, and we may even have some bentness and some moral failure. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about serving people with gross immorality in their life. I'm talking about we're all a project in the making. And I have found that God is very practical. While he's using someone's gifting in my life, he will also use their character defects in my life. While he's working it out of them, he'll use it on me. And he'll use it to test my heart and my surrender to Jesus and my honor. Will I honor them for their position regardless of the <laughs> what they are like as a person? Let's put it that way. Okay? And so we go through those processes. When I was working for that guy, I remember just crying out to God. And I thought, God, if you'll just let me be a janitor in a church. Lord, I will, there was a little closet underneath some stairs, and I thought, man, I could put a little cot in here. I could eat. They, they served meals in the, the little dining hall at the church because they ran a school. I thought, man, I could sleep here. I, I'm sure there's a shower around here somewhere, and I could eat out there, and I could live in the house of the Lord and serve God all the days of my life. I had no idea God called me to lead people. 
I had no idea God called me to preach the word. I just knew that Jesus had hooked my heart. And the first step was, I just want to get under authority. I just want to serve the things of God. Remember when I went to my director at Teen Challenge, after I talked to the gentleman that ran the school, I had like three months left of Teen Challenge, and it was rare for them to let you take a road trip and go look at a school, but for some reason he did. Went and looked at the school, and I came back, and before I left, the man said, you can come, you got to get a haircut, but one thing is you've got to be sure that you're called to ministry. And I thought, okay, okay, you know, and I felt like I should go, but I'm like, how do I know if I'm called? You know, I, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I don't know, how, how, do, how do you know? And I wrestled with it for a couple of weeks, and then I went and saw Brother Mep. He was the executive director at Teen Challenge. And I went in, and he said, well, what did you think of the school? He was kind of a gruff guy, ice blue eyes, and uh, his family was from the Pella area. And he said, uh, what, so what did you think? And I said, well, I said, I really liked it, and, and uh well, previously I'd gone in his office and asked him, you know, I said, I need to find out what I'm supposed to do because I knew this verse says, don't be a fool. Understand the will of the Lord. I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. He said, interior decorating. I know the guy's making a lot of money. I'm thinking, what about me makes you think of interior decorating? Okay? A little insecure at that moment, you know? And uh, I said, I just, I just want to serve Jesus. He's, I just want to do something for the Lord. He said, he told me the school. He said, go and check it out. And I came back, and then he said, so what do you think? And I said, I really liked it. I'd like to go. I said, but, but Brother Mep, he told me, you got you to gotta have a call on your life. And I don't know if I have a call. I just, I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to live my life for him. I want to do whatever I can for the Lord. And he looked at me, and he punched his desk. Boy! He yelled at ice blue eyes. <laughs> he said, don't wait for stone tablets in the mail. He said, if you want to do it, that's the strongest kind of call. Go. And he hit his desk again. I said, yes, sir. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that I would give that advice to most people, okay? But it worked for me. And the point is, is that it was a path of discovery, just discovering who I was and what I was called to. And at that school, we had to do all kinds of things. We were like... He had a brilliant idea for a school. You paid him to do all the church's work. It was, it was awesome and, uh, for him. And uh, so we, uh, we were the Sunday school, the bus ministry. We were, you know, all these things. And I found that there were some things that when I did them, I liked it. And more importantly, it seemed like other people liked it when I did those things. And when I did other things, not only did I not like it, neither did anybody else. <laughs> And so I began to realize, oh, this is kind of a sweet spot. And get under authority and, and leaders will begin to call that stuff out of you. So the first step in knowing the will of the Lord is getting under authority and beginning to serve. Get under someone and begin to serve in different capacities. And what you'll find is that there's some things you do, it'll come to the surface. Other, not only will you like it, but other people are like it. I'm going to tell you, in the New Testament, the New Testament call has two facets. In Jesus' baptism, he went down in the water, he came up. One gospel says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased, the voice. Another gospel says, this is my son. You see, there was the, com the personal confirmation and there was the public confirmation. Not only did Jesus hear it, the people heard it. Not only did he want to do it, other people wanted him to do it. And it doesn't matter if you think you're called to music ministry, if nobody else wants you to be called to music ministry, 
then you're probably not called to music ministry. If, all, if you're hearing, you are my musician in whom I'm well pleased, but it seems like no one else seems to feel like they heard that voice when you sang, then it's probably not God. Okay? Just kind of let you off easy. Fact is, there are other people who feel like, hey, you know, you're called to this. There's, I've seen people, everybody's telling them they're called to this. And people, Lance Walnow. Lance Walnow tried to be a pastor for a while. Lance is a phenomenal teacher. He stunk as a pastor. That's his words, not mine, okay? Don't write him, okay? He's, I heard him say, he didn't use stink, so maybe I'm a little strong. But he, he just, it wasn't real successful. That's not what his calling was. A lot of people looked at the teaching gift on his life and said, Lance, you're called to pastor. He wasn't called to pastor. He was called to travel and equip the body of Christ. So there's that two, those two facets to the call of God. Okay, I had four things I was going to go into. The four boundary lines to the calling. But I've run out of time. So this morning, we will not get into that. But God willing, next week we will. Let me throw them out to you, okay? The four boundary lines. The call of God to your life. There is a, there is a relational boundary line relationships are very key. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he, he knew he wasn't even an apostle to all the Gentiles. He told the Corinthians, I may not be an apostle to them, but surely I am to you. He understood that ministry, the grace of God on our life, is relational. And so there has to be relationship. And the fact is, not only is it relational from our perspective, but for you to discover your calling, you've got to find that group of people that you're called with, and not just two. What do I mean? You've got to find out who you're supposed to run with. So there's a relational parameter to your, your calling. There is a, a generational, a locational, and then a revelatory boundary line. God calls you to locations. There's a principle in the New Testament that says, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Jewish people were given a promised land. But that was first for them. Now, it's up to you to find your promised land. And I mean literally. What is the geographic location that you are called to in this moment in human history? Where does your inheritance lie? Where does your anointing lie? Where are you to make an impact? There are geographic locations. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he, he talks about the metron of authority, the, the boundary lines of his authority, but he also expressed desire to see his influence expand and gives us the secrets to expanding our influence in the kingdom of God, our geographical influence. So there's a demographic, relational. There's a geographic, it's a location. There's also a generational boundary line. It, there's an interesting passage, and we, we need to get into this sometime, where it says of David in Acts, I want to say it's Acts 16. Paul is preaching, and he says, David served his generation, and then he was laid to rest with his father's, and he was, he, he was exposed to corruption. In other words, he just rotted and died. There was a shelf life to David's life. It's what Paul's talking about here. 
The days are evil, life is short, you have one shot at this. You have the great equalizer is time. You have, you are made not only for this location, but this generation. That's why the book of Acts says, and God appointed the times and places in which men should live. So there's, there's something about the hour in human history you were created precisely for. And understand that, that there is a, there is a, a ticking clock on our lives. And that helps us to operate in the fear of the Lord and be motivated. And then there's a revelatory aspect, and really that's what I meant to get into this morning. The revelatory. So hopefully we'll get into that next week. Here's the point. For you to fulfill the purpose of God on your life, there is specific revelation that God has to unpack in your life. The revelation of your life is unique to the calling. And that revelation, just like Paul, what does Paul say? He said, I've been given a stewardship of grace and that, stu- that grace came in the form of revelation and it was for other people. God showed it to him for them. He went in, mapped out their promised land and came back and began to unpack it for them so the whole church could come into it. There is a revelatory aspect to your life that is unique to your life. God, there are certain truths that God wants you to carry that I may not carry that others may not carry. There are certain truths that this church is going to carry to a greater degree than other churches and vice versa. There's other churches that carry truths that we don't carry. It's because of their unique calling. And Paul says that the grace on his life was revelation of mysteries. There are certain things that you have to know in order to break into what God has for you. And you need to be hungry for those things. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.